Good evening. Please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was those of those two men. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. For the past couple of months, we've been going through the book of Second Timothy. There are a number of themes throughout the book of Second Timothy But one theme is that Paul is entrusting to Timothy the gospel. Timothy is to entrust it to others who will entrust it to others also. It's the handing down of the gospel from one generation to the next. That's one of the themes of the text. Another theme throughout 2 Timothy is being useful. We looked at being useful last week. How do we be useful in God's kingdom. Timothy was called to rightly handle the word of truth. This passage this week has a lot to say about love. Love is actually used four times in this passage. I would like to take or condense some of the things that Augustine has said about love, which I was reminded of this week as I was studying this passage And I would like to give you three things that Augustine said about love that I think is evident in our text. Before I do so, I want you to understand the context of this passage. The context is that Paul has been teaching about false teachers. Being useful in God's kingdom last week uh, was about that, and part of being useful is that you need to make sure you're teaching the true doctrine if you are a gospel minister. But also, the context here tells us in verse 1, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. When are the last days? If you remember my Sunday school lesson from this morning, I I quoted a couple of passages. I'll quote them here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, 
but these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 say this. Now, this was from the mouth of Peter, quoting from Joel. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He was talking about Pentecost. But I use those two verses to illustrate what many scholars on this passage have said, that we are living in the last days today. Ever since Jesus came and inaugurated the new covenant, we are now living in the last days. The last days will be characterized by false teachers in the church, not just out there in the world, but in the church. We see that in our passage. Verse 5 talks about teachers who would have the appearance of godliness. Now, that might mean that's because they're pastors of a church. It might mean because they're leaders, elders, maybe uh, deacons. But they deny the power of the gospel. They deny God's word and all that it says. Paul has already warned us about Hymenaeus and Philetus earlier in this letter. They were leading people astray from God's word and his truth. He also says in verse 8 that just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Paul is saying that all of the attributes that are listed here are attributes of false teachers leading people astray in God's church. These false teachers are like Jonas and Jambres. Who are those guys? They are not actually mentioned in all of the Bible, believe it or not. They are mentioned in the Jewish Targum, so non-inspired commentary. Exodus 7 tells us that Pharaoh appointed wise, wise men or counsel, had counsel come and oppose Moses. So some of the commentaries on that passage talk about Jonas and Jambres. Interestingly, Paul is comparing himself to Moses. He's comparing the gospel to God's saving work that he did through Moses. Just as Pharaoh's magicians, Pharaoh's counsel did not succeed in opposing the Israelites from fleeing Egypt, so too, whoever teaches falsely and opposes God's truth will not be victorious. Instead, God has promised that his church will prevail. In verse 9, it tells us this great hope that they, meaning those who oppose true doctrine, they, the false teachers, will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was those of those two men. Praise the Lord that even though there are many imposters who claim themselves to be true, nonetheless, God is still working through his word, according to the ordinary means of grace, through ministers uh, promoting the gospel, 
Here are three things that Augustine has taught on love that we can see from our passage. First, you must have the proper object of love if you are to follow Christ. Now, I, I say that because this passage tells us that a false teacher loves himself. That's one of the marks of a false teacher. If you look at verse 2 of our passage, the very first thing that it says about these people is that they will be lovers of self. In fact, there, there are other things that they love. They love money. They love pleasure. They are not lovers of the good. Then all the way down in verse, the end of verse 4, after all of these bad things are listed, it says that they are not lovers of God. So there's a contrast. It starts off with they love themselves, and it gives a whole series of terrible things, and then it ends with, or at least it's coming to a close with, rather than loving God. One of the ways that you can tell a false teacher is by what does he love? Does he love himself? Here is what John Calvin had to say about this passage. Self-love may be regarded as the source from which flow all the vices that are listed here. He who loves himself claims a superiority in everything, despises all others, is cruel, indulges in covetousness, treachery, anger, rebellion against parents, neglect of what is good, and the like. I'm reminded of today's prosperity preachers, people who have very wide followings. Maybe they're flying in jumbo jets. Maybe they, they have a, a mass, um, tens of thousands of, of uh, church members. Maybe they're paid exorbitant amounts of money. But in the end, what they really care about are themselves. I read in one of Mark Twain's stories, Mark Twain is a little irreverent, but he talks about circuit-riding preachers who would go from one town and they would host a revival, and at the end of the revival, they'd take an offering. And then they would keep the money for themselves, and they'd go to the next town, and they'd have a revival, and they'd take an offering, and they'd keep the money for themselves. That kind of behavior flows from a love of self. Now, this is actually what Augustine taught early in the church. Augustine was one of the church leaders of, uh, during the early church. He says that, I'm going to quote him a few times, in order to discover the character of people, we have to only observe what they love. He also says that when we ask whether someone is a good man, we're not asking what he believes or hopes, but what he loves. One of the marks of a true teacher is that he places the love of God before his love of self. All who follow the Lord Jesus Christ are to place a love of God as their true object of love. And everything else will follow from that. For Augustine, now this is interesting, for Augustine, virtue... Every virtue was a form of love. Here's what he says. Now, now when I say this, remember, Calvin said that 
the self-love that these men have, all of the other things that follow after that flow from self-love. All of the vices flow from self-love. Now, Augustine taught that virtue flows from love of God. He says, I hold that virtue is nothing other than perfect love of God. Temperance is love preserving itself entire and incorrupt for God. Courage is love readily bearing all things for the sake of God. Justice is love serving only God and therefore ruling well everything else that is subject to the human person. Prudence is love discerning well between what it helps toward God and what it hinders. What do you love? Do you love God? That's the most important thing about you. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. He mentions this first. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you love God and His Spirit is dwelling in you, then all sorts of good things are going to flow from this love. All sorts of good things are going to flow from the object of your faith. But if you love yourself, you'll probably have all sorts of terrible things flowing out of your life. You might be prone to talking about yourself more than you should because you love yourself. When you see somebody in need, you probably won't be very generous because you love yourself more than you love them. If you see someone who's hurting or requires some sort of courageous behavior, you probably won't exhibit any courage because you love your own health and well-being more than you love the other person. What do you love? Augustine taught that we must love God. He must be the first object of our love. But secondly... And if you don't love God, all sorts of bad things are going to flow from it. And clearly, for these teachers who love themselves, all of the other things that they love, the money, right, the pleasure, it's flowing out of the love for self. Secondly, so first you must love God. That must be the object of your love. But secondly, you must have a, a proper order to your loves, meaning the other things that you love in life must not come before God. It's not just that you must love God, but you must love God before you love everything else. And then all of the other loves that you have must be ordered correctly. Here's what what Augustine says. We sin when we neglect the order, or neglectful of order, we fix our love on the creature instead of on thee, the creator. In other words, if you love something before God, what you're really doing is rendering them worship more than you are worshiping God himself. Now, here in our passage, consider all of the things that are listed here are in some sense there because they've disordered their loves and they do not obey God's authority structure. So what you love does 
say a lot about what you think about authority. So consider this. They are lovers, not, rather than lovers of God, it mentions in verse 4. So they don't love God, the ultimate authority. They reject him. It also says they're ungrateful, they're unholy, they're unappeasable. Why are, these, why are they those things? At root, it's because they've rejected the ultimate authority. Who do they have, who do they have to be grateful to? But they reject God's word. They don't love what is good, it says. Not loving good, in verse 3. They reject God's standard for goodness. They are disobedient to their parents, it says. That is, they're rejecting the proper authority, their earthly authority, that God has set in place over them. As it says in verse 2, disobedient to their parents. They're treacherous. They're reckless. Not only that, do they reject the earthly authority over them, they also take advantage of people who are under their authority. So they are abusive, it says. Now, perhaps that means physically abusive. It says they're brutal. They creep into households and capture weak women. Perhaps they're using their status as a pastor. But clearly, they're using their authority to take advantage of people who are vulnerable. They're slanderous, maybe a form of verbal abuse. They are without self-control. Maybe they're slaves to their own passions and whims. So their love for self and their desire to put self before God has led to all sorts of authority issues in their life. They reject the ultimate authority, they despise the earthly authority, and they're abusive to the people who are under their authority. I wonder what your attitude toward authority is. Now, getting back to what Augustine has said, that we must love God first, and all of our loves must flow from that, I think that's really distilling the teaching in Luke chapter 10, verse 47, where it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. God is to be not only our object of love, but our supreme love. And everything else, including love of neighbor, must be secondary to that, but in the proper order. Here's what John Calvin has said. Either this earthly life must become low in our estimation, or it will have our inordinate love. Now, that word inordinate is just meaning it's excessive. So it's not just that you're loving things in place of God, but let's say you love something good. It can be good things. Let's say you love your wife or you love your children or you love your job. Let's take your job, for, it, for instance. If you love your job, but you excessively love it, then it will create all kinds of havoc in your life. It may destroy your marriage. It may destroy your relationship with your kids. It's not just that we love what we should love, but it's, we love it to a degree which is out of proportion. It's become, they've become idols. Or perhaps you love your kids, but you love them 
excessively such that you can't bear to displease them or you crush them with the weight of your expectations. If you love your kids, but you love them more than God and you love them more than your wife, then it will be terrible for your family. For Augustine, the most important thing about you is what you love. It's also the most important thing about your pastor (laughs) and whoever fills the pulpit. So you are to love God first and everything else second. And even what is second, you must order appropriately. But here's thirdly what Augustine would have us to see about love. You must love God for God's sake alone, not for what God will give you. It's not just that you must love God, that you must love him first, but you shouldn't be loving God ultimately because you think that God will give you something from your love. These teachers, these false teachers, it tells us, again, have the appearance of godliness. But because they've denied God's word, because they've loved their self, their self more than God, they're not affirming the life-transforming power of God's word. As a result of that, there's really no joy in their life. It's all about them, right? It's about maybe the power and the fortunes that they get from being a pastor or the fame, the authority they have. It's not about God. And it's not about God's power coming forth from his word. Here's what Augustine says. There is a joy that is not given to those who do not love you. This is in his confessions. Augustine's confessions is a long prayer. He's praying to God. It's an extended prayer. There is a joy that is not given to those who do not love you, but only to those who love you for your own sake. This is happiness, and there is no other. Those who think that there is another kind of happiness look for joy elsewhere. But theirs is not true joy. I don't think reading the list of the qualities that these false teachers exhibit, unholiness, heartlessness, slanderous, being slanderous, not loving good, all of these things seem to indicate not only do they not love God, but they don't, certainly don't love God for God's sake. Here's how you can tell if you're loving God for his sake. If there's something that is taken away in your life, how do you react? It'll often tell you about what you love. Are you absolutely outraged? Do you turn your back on God because he's taken something away that you've loved? If you do, it's an indication that you're loving God not for God's sake, but you're loving God for your sake. So first, you must love God, not something else. Second, you must love God first in your life, the proper degree. Thirdly, you must love God for his sake. And finally, consider this. 
in the Lord Jesus, we have the opposite of all of the vices that are listed here by a false teacher. He is a true teacher sent from God himself who exhibits perfect love of God, perfect love of his heavenly Father, perfect attitude towards authority, submission to his Father's will. As we heard this morning of Jesus Christ's perfect submission unto death, not I will, but what you will, Father. When he's dying upon the cross, he has perfect love for his enemies. Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. All of the wonderful virtues that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect humility, his perfect generosity, his sympathy and care for those who are weak and sick, who is, rather than abusing those under his authority, he's loving and caring. He's like a true shepherd of the sheep who's laying down his life for them. He's the ultimate example of the teacher that you are to follow. He's not arrogant or conceited. He, when Jesus talks about himself, we all listen. We don't think that it's arrogant or conceited, right? He'll say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. We don't hear those statements and think that he's conceited, but rather we, we're drawn in. It's because he's the perfect expression of love. And he's come to satisfy God's justice. When he goes to the cross to forgive our sins, he's doing so in submission to his heavenly Father's will. That's your model. That's our Savior. Our Lord, our King, our hope, our life. What do you love? And to what degree do you love it? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord more than anything? Do you love the Lord so much that you would love him for his sake? Because he loved you, not only to glorify himself, but for your sake. So we ought to, in turn, love him for his sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of God, your love that is displayed for us on the cross, but also your justice, that our, the penalty of our sin was paid for, we thank you for this supreme example of what a genuine, loving teacher looks like in the Lord Jesus, who's perfectly submissive to your will, who does not abuse his sheep, but rather, through self-sacrificing love, lays down his life for their sake. We pray that you would protect us from false teachers from people who would take the authority of the pulpit and use it for their own glorification, who might abuse those under their authority. We pray, too, that you would empower those who preach according to your word 
through your Spirit, that you would empower them so that the Spirit of the risen Christ may breathe new life into those who have never heard the gospel. We thank you that you have given us your word, and we thank you that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We thank you that it is a written word given to us so that we can examine what people say who claim to have your authority, and we can evaluate it in light of Scripture. I pray that we would be faithful in doing so, that we would love you not only with our mind and our thoughts, but also our hearts, our wills, that we would love everything else in a proper order to a lesser extent than we love you, that we, following your word, would also think carefully about the measure of love we've placed into earthly things. Finally, may all of us love you for your sake alone. We thank you that you have loved us, not only for your glory, but also for our good. We praise you in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen.